0: Hi, my name is Paul Crandall and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey. And we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc@isunrise.com. at That's my personal account. And I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're gonna find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. I came up a little early there. Sorry about that. You're like, why is he awkwardly standing in the darkness? (laughs) Because I am Batman. I was born in the darkness. No, Um, just kidding. You know, as we walk through this, we've been walking through this series, uh, through the writings of Luke. We've been walking through different themes in the writings of Luke. That would be the gospel and the book of Acts. And everybody's favorite topic is always to talk about money, right? And so we're we're going through it. We're working through it. Uh, Pastor James did a great job last week. I thought Really sparked a lot of conversation and reflection, I know, in our home, I'm hoping, in, the, uh, in your home as well. You know, something that I think comes out in this, and I don't know if you've ever uh, put yourself in these categories, but we often do this in premarital counseling. We tell couples, hey, most likely, most likely, one of you is going to be the spender, and one of you is going to be the saver. I like to call that person the savior. <laughs> yeah. You can tell which one I am, right? You're like, hmm. Right? So we tell couples, like, it, it's going to be that, so you need to talk about, you know, communication on roles, on who's going to do the budget, who's going to do different things. And, and I think, you know, I, I've got to say this, for the spenders out there, if you're a spender, don't raise your hand, okay? That's, that would be weird. Um, we can tell by your dress what you are, okay? When your husband's wearing Kirkland head to toe, saver, right? He's the saver, okay? When we all, like, Pastor, Pastor Jason and I, we were talking about how we're going to notice all the Costco flannels that come out like at our church you could be like hey you have the same four flannels that Costco released too right that's us that's the savers right bundle it and put it in bulk but i do i would say i think when we're talking about money and finances i think spenders can get a bad rap i really do because i think spenders were often just categorized as those are the people with the money problems right the savers those are the good ones okay in reality savers are sinners too I was waiting for my wife to be like, amen. (laughs) There you go. Right? It's true. And here, like, if you're a spender, right, you can get into an unhealthy place where you're impulsive, where you're greedy, where you're vain. Absolutely, that can happen, right? Savers, though, too, could get to a very unhealthy place where they become uncompassionate hoarders. Right, so really, we can fall to kind of like two extremes when it comes to the handling of our money. We can fall on one side where we just kind of throw the money away, and we can fall on the other side where we grip that money too tightly. And that's where I am. And I've I've just confess, I'm a saver. I love to budget. You can ask my family. I love to budget. If daddy's on the computer screen on a Friday, be like, "What are you, daddy, what do you do? want to play a game? I, I got to do the budget. And they're like, Ugh. I'm like, you want me to teach you? My kids are like, no. Can I do chores? <laughs> can I scrub the toilets? Right? Because I budget every single penny. Every single penny. I can tell you trends. Like, I know what the true cost of inflation is. I can tell you because I can look at the budget trend of my grocery budget. I can tell you. Or my kids are just getting hungry. Or it's one of the two. I don't know which one it is. But I love to budget. But here's what I've realized about myself, just being totally honest with you. I hold my money too tightly. And I've realized that about myself, especially this week. I realize that, yes, it it feels good to be a saver, and there feels like there's a sense of nobility to it, right, like virtue to it. But there's a messy side to being a saver, too. Because we can hold our money so tightly that we are not compassionate, And we're not generous. And I was talking with my wife because I I felt convicted by this. And I was talking to her and I said, you know, babe, like, normally we talk about in marriage communication, stay away from words like always and never. Because they're usually never true. Always about. (laughs) Ha, (laughs) ha, ha. Right. But I told her, I said, babe, like, I think this is actually one of those moments where always is true. I feel like. If we are going to be generous or charitable or go above and beyond, you are always the one who initiates that. And my wife is like, and (laughs) keep going. But it's true. Like I grew up poor. I grew up um, learning money management from my grandfather, also a saver. And that means I hold my money too tightly. And what I realize is that means my money has too tight of a hold on me. I think maybe it's not finances, maybe it's not money. But I think in a broader scope, we all have things in our life that we hold on too tightly to. It could be our image. It could be our ambition. It could be our careers, our families, our friends. It could be our sexuality. It could be our finances. It could be a ton of things. We hold on to these things too tightly. And when God calls us to surrender those things, and he calls us to surrender all of the things in our life, and that is a heavy call. And we realize when we're confronted with that call. Give me it all. I want it all. Surrender all control to me. That's a call that is impossible for us to meet. Impossible. At least on our own. We cannot loosen the grip that we have on our life. We can't loosen the grip that we have On our finances, on our ambition, on our families, on our comfort. We can't can't loosen the grip without God's control. It is not natural for us to say, fine, God, have it all. And we're going to be confronted with a young, rich ruler in the ministry life of Jesus who receives a call from Jesus to surrender something in his life. The thing that he is holding on so tightly to. And we all are called to surrender. But that surrender looks different for each one of us. Because each one of us has something different that we hold tightly to. But when we receive that call, we're going to be immediately confronted with the impossibility of meeting that request. And it is only by the power of God that we could possibly surrender full control to him. So I'm going to show you in Luke chapter 18... How this kind of plays out. So let me give you the big idea for the morning. I think this is the main idea of the passage that, that or this, this kind of story that, that Luke is recording for us in the ministry life of Jesus. So if you write down one thing, I want you to write this down. God won't or doesn't call you further than he's willing to take you. God doesn't call you further than he's willing to take you. God will call you a great distance, a significant distance, something that's beyond you. You don't have the stamina for it. You don't have the perseverance for it. You can't can't power your way to the distance that God calls you to. But here's the beauty of it. He'll walk with you. And he'll carry you. If you humbly ask for help. And cry out for his mercy. So let me show you how this is incredibly clear to us in a conversation that Jesus has... With a rich young ruler, a man like me, who is holding on too tightly to his finances. So go to Luke chapter 18. We're going to start with verse 18. I want to read through the whole passage. And then we're going to kind of walk through this discussion that Jesus has. So Luke chapter 18, verse 18, it starts like this. A ruler asked him, him being Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you lack, you still lack. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come Follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easy for a camel, or easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. That's where we get our big idea. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to him, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is a really hard discussion to unpack because Jesus is going to confront this very wealthy individual with an extremely high call. And at times what we do when we're reading the scriptures is when we are confronted with a heavy call, we try to tame it down. That's not what it actually says. And you've got to be careful with that you got to be careful with that because what you don't want to do is you don't want to turn down the volume on Jesus' voice when he wants it to be high. You don't want to tame Jesus like, ooh, that's not comfortable for the 21st century American hearer. That's not going to ring well with the audience. That's not politically advantageous, Jesus, if you're looking for an applause or you're running for a campaign. But Jesus isn't campaigning, right? He doesn't need our votes, in fact, Jesus ran one of the worst political pa- campaigns in first century Palestine. Because at the end of it, what happened? They killed him. Not a great political strategist. Right? That's not very good. Jesus wasn't about being a popular. Jesus wasn't about the applause. Jesus was about the truth. Jesus was about helping others see the reality of what was really going on in their hearts and in the world. And so when we hear these very difficult passages and challenges, we need to ask ourselves, I can't tame Jesus. Now, I want to know what he's saying, but what I don't want to do is I don't want to make Jesus feel more comfortable to me. I want him to be clear. I I want him to be clear to me. So I know what he's saying. But I'm not going to use my comfort as an indicator that I'm reading this passage right. Okay, and here's one of the ways I think we tame this passage sometimes. What we try to do, and I want you to look in look verse 22, because some of this, I think, is somewhat founded on, on, on biblical reasoning. Okay, look at verse 22. There's a phrase here that's used that if you're familiar with the scriptures, especially the teachings of Jesus, especially the teaching of Jesus on money, this phrase may indicate something to you. Look at verse 22. In verse 22, it says, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, that phrase, we may think, oh, I know what this means. Treasure in heaven. What he's talking about is heavenly rewards. What he's talking about is that when we enter into heaven, heaven will look different for each person who's there. We get into heaven, how? By faith in Jesus Christ, death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins. That's how we get into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And we will enjoy that relationship for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, when we get to that point where we're in heaven, there are rewards for us to enjoy based on our obedient lives. So you will be rewarded based on the actions that you've done. Here's what we can often do to tame this passage: is this man is all he's missing out on? This rich young ruler, he's just missing out on rewards in heaven. So he's still good; he just didn't, you know, meet this call to sell everything, which seems ridiculous. Jesus, what he's missing out on is some rewards in heaven, but he's still getting into heaven. That's not the way to, to read this passage. That's not what this passage is about. Yes, oftentimes Jesus will use treasure language to talk about the rewards we will experience in heaven but that's not what he's talking about in here words have meaning within their sentences sentences have meaning within their paragraphs and in this paragraph in this discussion jesus is not talking about rewards in heaven what jesus is talking about is getting into heaven let me show you this look at the first verse we read verse 18 and the last verse we read The first and the last, this is a discussion about inheriting eternal life. Verse 18, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's not asking about rewards. He's asking about eternal life. Jesus ends the discussion with eternal life. Verse 30, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Life. The discussion is about eternal life. And what this man missed and what he's looking for is how to gain eternal life. So if he doesn't get eternal life, what does he get? Eternal death. That would be a terrible way to describe heaven. What this man is missing out on is heaven, not rewards in heaven. Another indication, look down at your passage again. I, I want us to be really clear on this so we really get the punch of what Jesus is saying. Look at verse twenty. Five. It says, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What is Jesus talking about there? He's talking about entrance. He's not talking about reward. He's saying what's in jeopardy for this rich young ruler is that he's not getting into the kingdom of God. Clearly, he's not talking about rewards. He's talking about this guy is not going to be right with God. He's not going to inherit eternal life and get into the kingdom of God. Another indication that, again, that we're talking about getting into heaven and not rewarded in heaven is the question that comes from the crowd in verse 26. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? Again, what are we talking about here? We're talking about salvation. That's what we're talking about. So now that we know what this discussion is about, what this man is going to miss out on is entering the kingdom of God, inheriting eternal life, in being saved. And he could not meet the command of Jesus. The call of Jesus on his life. And that's what he missed out on. Because he couldn't sell everything. Distribute it to the poor. And follow Jesus. He missed out on the kingdom of God. He missed out on eternal life. And he missed out on being saved. This is a serious discussion that we cannot tame. Now why did he miss out on that? Let's walk through the passage from beginning to end. Now that we know what this whole discussion is about. So Luke chapter 18, verse 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now we got to know a little background here to kind of get what's going on in this discussion. Because it kind of feels like this guy is just being really nice to Jesus. Hey, you look like a good dude, Jesus. Good teacher. That phrase to us just seems like this guy's being courteous. He's being nice. He's giving Jesus a compliment. Okay, in the first century Jewish ear, that was completely inappropriate for this man to say. No rabbi was called or addressed as good. And the reason is it's because God alone was good. So what this is, is an act of flattery. He's throwing around this term in a way to kind of I don't know, maybe manipulate Jesus, flatter Jesus, but he's a, he's got this kind of superficial understanding of what goodness is. The Jewish audience at the time hearing what he was said probably would've, probably would have sucked in a little bit like, oh, "What did you say?" Because the rabbis were not called that. They wouldn't allow that. And the students knew that that phrase was only to be used And that's why Jesus' response is, whoa, why do you call me good? Hold on, let's not throw this term around here. No one is good except God. And then Jesus is going to turn the conversation, because here's what I think Jesus does. He just kind of skirts past the flattery, right? He knows what's really going on in this man's heart. And he says, let's now move the conversation to talk about your goodness. Right, what does Jesus say? He moves past this flattery, this superficial use of good. And he says, you know the commandments, Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Okay, that feels a little weird, right? We're talking about inheriting eternal life, and then Jesus says, let me show you the law. And it kind of feels like, is Jesus saying we can merit eternal life? Like, give me your moral resume, and I'll see if you can get into the pearly gates, Is that what Jesus is saying? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. And we'll see that later in our verse. We'll see it in verse 27 when Jesus talks about how it is impossible for man to meet the call of God. But let me show you another huge indicator that Jesus is not talking about merit. It's not what he's doing. Look down at your Bible in Luke chapter 18. Because right before this discussion... Luke happens to record a story that Jesus told. And in this story, we see somebody who thinks they can merit God's affection. That they can earn God's love. That they can inherit eternal life by the good things that they do. They can be righteous on their own. And look at how this story goes. And this gives us kind of the context of how to understand this discussion. Okay, Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Jesus tells a story, two figures, a Pharisee and a tax collector. I told you at the beginning of kind of this series uh, that when we're interpreting the stories of Jesus, the parables of Jesus, that the best way for us to understand them is to wait for the surprise. Right? The moment where everybody's kind of nodding their head like, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And Jesus says, nope, that's wrong. And everybody gets like whiplash. That's the moment where you find Jesus' point is in the surprise. It's in the turn. Jesus will kind of orient himself to the audience. Then he'll, pro- then he'll give them the kind of this disorienting factor and then kind of reorient them. It's almost like a loop that Jesus takes them on. Jesus says, okay, now we're connected. Let me just, let me just make you upset. You're going to throw up. Right, here's the loop. Woo! And everyone's like, whoa, what happened? And then Jesus says, well, let me, let me now elevate you to a better way of thinking. That's how you can look at the parables of Jesus. Just one loop. Okay, so let's look at the surprise. Jesus tells a story. He said, he told this parable. I'm in verse 9 of Luke chapter 18. To some, listen to this phrase, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Hmm. I wonder if this sounds like our rich young ruler. Well, jump back. I know I'm moving a lot here, but that's okay. You can follow me and soak in the screens. If you jump to verse 21 of Luke 18. Jesus lifts off all these commands. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He gives five of the ten commandments. All kind of the horizontal relationship ones. The ones that are kind of easy to measure. It's hard to measure covetousness and idolatry. It's easy to measure adultery and murder. Verse 21. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. This man sounds like, hey, I'm good. I can merit salvation. Look at my moral resume. I am qualified for the love of God. Sounds exactly like the audience Jesus is thinking about when he tells this story. Jump to verse 9 of Luke 18. And he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The audience is going to expect the Pharisee to be the hero, the tax collector to be the villain. That's where the surprise comes. But look at this prayer. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers. Okay, isn't it interesting? Those things he said? And then the commands that Jesus cited to the rich young ruler? Don't bear false witness. Don't steal. That sounds like an extortioner. Don't commit adultery. That sounds like an adulterer. Do you see how they're connected here? I'm in verse 11. Unjust adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. That means righteous. The sinner went home righteous. Why? Because he cried out for mercy. He humbled himself. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay, so what is Jesus trying to do when he uses those commands? Don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't murder, honor your father and mother. Here's what he's not trying to do. He's not waiting for the rich young ruler to say, look, I did all those things. And then Jesus is going to be, yay. Like Jesus is not waiting to applaud this man's merit. That's not why he's using the law. That's not what the law is used for. The law doesn't show us how to succeed. It shows us our need. Jesus isn't using the law like a vaccine. He's using it like an x-ray machine. It's, It's not the cure. It's the diagnosis. This rich young ruler believes the law is a ladder to heaven. Jesus believes it's a window to your heart. It shows you the sin inside. Do you see that? What Jesus wants is not for this man to impress him. What Jesus wants is this man's confession. Let me give you the law and be humbled by it. Because when you're humbled by it, I'll help. When you cry out for mercy, like the tax collector, the story I just told, did you not hear it? Did you come in late to the service? That's what he's saying. If If you heard the story, you would know. When the law comes out, you bend a knee. You don't stand up and puff out your chest. At that point, you humble yourself and say, I need mercy. So this man is like unblemished by the law so far that Jesus listed. So what does Jesus do? Jesus presses in. Right, Only like our Savior can. Because now he gets to something that maybe we can't measure, but he can measure. Being the Son of God and knowing this man's heart, he can see the sin inside. And he says, let's talk about that inside of you. Look at what he says in response to this man. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Okay, now this is interesting. Jesus says, you lack one thing. I'm in verse 22. You lack one thing. And then he's going to tell them to do three things. Like, Jesus, are you Yoda? Like, what is going on here? Why? It's because we need to understand the three things really as being one thing. They're just three aspects of really one command that Jesus is asking. And that command is to surrender. To surrender it all. That's what he's asking for. Look at what he says, you still, one thing you lack, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Sell, distribute, follow. That's what you need to do. Why is Jesus asking that of this man? Here's why. I think it's because Jesus is now practically asking about the first command the first command in Exodus 20 of the Ten Commandments is you shall have no other gods before me. I'm first. That's it. And what is this man worshiping? His wealth. He is holding on so tightly to his wealth he can't worship Jesus. So when Jesus calls him to surrender, the only way this man will surrender Is by loosening his grip on his wealth. And the grip that his wealth has on his heart can only be loosened and broken if he sells it all. That's how serious this man's condition is. It's how serious his greed is. Now, you need to hear this. This is important. This is not the call that Jesus specifically gives to everybody. We see this, and we're going to see this later in our money series. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus meets a rich man who does get saved, and he doesn't sell everything. The call is not to sell everything. So in particular, this command is specific. But in general, the command is the same. Surrender. Surrender what, Jesus? All of it. Let me show you this. In in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. I want you to see that this is a command that is particular to this man, but in principle is generally given to every single one of us who wants to follow Jesus. Look at how Jesus describes it in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone, that means anyone, the Greek there means anyone. Just, I just don't want it doesn't get lost in translation. If anyone would come after me, listen to this, here's the call. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. What's the call for all of us? Death and denial daily. That's the call of Jesus. On who? On everybody. Everybody is called. To surrender. This is what God calls of you. He looks at you and says, give me your life. I will give it back to you better. But first, you got to give it to me. All of it. And that's what's happening with this rich young ruler right now. In order for him to deny himself. In order for him to die. <laughs> in order for him to truly follow Jesus. He's got to get rid of all of it. All of it. Now here's where we see how hard or how strong the grip is that this man's wealth has on his heart. Luke chapter 18, I'm in verse 23. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. I can't do that. I can't do that. For he was extremely rich. Jesus seeing that he had become sad. Now, here's the crazy part. There's an audience here. This man has spoken up, probably very impressive to the crowd. He said his question, and it says that Jesus is looking at him, noticing he's sad. And as Jesus is staring at this man, he uses his greed as an object lesson for the crowd. How embarrassing is that? How heart-wrenching is that? Jesus looks at this man it says, oh, how difficult. How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. I envision Jesus staring at this man while he's saying it. His eyes are fixed on him, but his voice is for everybody else in the crowd. How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. Do you feel like the weight of that? Like the despair in that? And the analogy that Jesus uses is meant to communicate impossibility. The camel would be like the largest animal known to an everyday Israelite. In their region that's the biggest one like when they're driving through their cars and like, oh, a cow, a camel. That's what they would be like, get there. That'd be the biggest animal. And the eye of a needle would be the smallest opening. What is Jesus trying to communicate? Not that it's a struggle. What is he trying to communicate? It's impossible. It's impossible. It's not like driving like a Toyota Sequoia, right? And trying to park, you know, and you're like, your wife's like, you're not going to fit. You're like, yeah, I'll fit. Put the mirrors in. Everybody thinks small thoughts. Right? I drive a Sequoia, okay, just so you know, because I have a lot of kids. And I try to fit into those spots. That's not what Jesus is communicating. This is going to be tight. Think small thoughts. That's what he's saying. He's saying... This giant animal is not going to fit through this tiny hole. What is he saying? It's impossible, and the crowd thinks the same thing. Check out this question. Look at their response. Verse twenty-six: Those who heard it said, "Then who can be saved?" Notice what they didn't say. They didn't say, "Well, then, what rich person can be saved?" Isn't that interesting? Jesus just talked about how it was impossible. For a rich person to be saved. Or how it is difficult. And then he uses this illustration of a camel going through the eye of a needle. Which is impossible. And then the crowd's response is. If that's true. Then none of us are getting in. Isn't that an interesting response? The reason they respond like that. Is because in, in the first century world. Especially in Jewish circles. That riches were often seen as divine blessings. So if you were a good person. God was going to make you wealthy. Okay, That was kind of some of the framework there. So when they see this very wealthy man, they think he's blessed by God. Surely he has God's favor. Surely his character is better than ours because God is blessing him. So if he, being blessed, if he can't get in, what shot do we got? Like if Michael Jordan's not going to get drafted to the team, guess who's not going to get drafted to the team? This guy. I'm such a bad shot, I almost missed myself with my finger. Did you notice that? Like, like, Paul, come on. Yeah, my coordination's not very good. Right? That's the idea. They throw up their hands like, then nobody can be saved. And this is what I love. Just, this is, Jesus goes, yeah, I know. That's the point. Now he says it much more softly than that, but look at what he says. Verse 26. Let's try 27. But he said, What is impossible with man? What's impossible? It is impossible for that rich young ruler to sell it all. And it's impossible for anyone to be saved. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you nailed it. You can't do it. I'm going to call you far, man. And you can't get there on your own. But I'm not going to call you further than I'm willing to take you. He says, it's impossible. It's impossible to loosen your grip on your life apart from the grace of God you won't let it go you won't I won't none of us will we're all in the position of the rich young ruler when God calls us we become sad because he says surrender it all how much do you want Jesus everything give me your life I'll give it back to you better but you got to give it to me and when we hear that We become sad. Why? Because we don't have the power to do that. But we need to respond like that tax collector in the story right before this. Have mercy on me, a sinner. If this rich young ruler would have just said, Jesus, I can't do that. I can't sell it all. Like, I want to follow you, but I don't know how to do that. You got to help me. You know what Jesus would have said? Yes, I can do that. I can do that, because what I'm waiting for is your humility. I'm waiting for your humility. I'm waiting for you to see that it is impossible for you to go as far as I want you to go. You need to know that only I can walk you that distance. Let me show you how Peter's response to this disciples crowd, or response to this uh, uh, teaching of Jesus, shows us that we can obey the command. We can obey their request. We can surrender it all. It is possible. Yes, the call is high, full surrender, but we can do it. Let me show you this, verse 29. And he said to them, truly I say to you, or sorry, uh, verse 28, my fault. Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. What is Peter saying? Dude, we did what the rich young ruler couldn't do. Now, this is weird. I I feel like this is the awkward point. Like the rich young ruler is like, oh, like he's on blast right now. Like God, Jesus is just putting him on blast in front of the crowd. He's wearing the dunce hat. He's like, oh, shame, galore. And then Peter's like, we did it. He couldn't do it, but we did it. That's what I that's the sense I get, right? Now here's the crazy part. Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter. He doesn't. He says, Yeah, I know you did. Peter didn't have to sell everything. The disciples didn't sell everything. But they didn't leave everything. They denied themselves. They took up their cross, and they followed Jesus. They left everything. They surrendered rights over everything. And look what Jesus says to him. We've left everything. We left our house, or, or sorry, and, and he said, "Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left a house or a wife, brothers, or parents or children." Now this doesn't mean abandon your families. That's not what I'm saying there. Okay, that would go against other scriptural commands. I think what he's saying here is you you. Left wife as in then you didn't pursue marriage or that you you left the idea of having a family to follow Jesus in this ministry. You put that to the side, that ambition to the side. Now we know Peter had a wife, so he had to let that go as he traveled. But Jesus is not saying, hey, leave your kids, come follow me. Just they'll figure stuff out. He's not telling you to be a bad parent. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you've surrendered this right to building this life. You surrendered this right to have control over all of this. And Jesus says, Here's how you'll be rewarded. For the sake of the kingdom of God, you will receive many times more, or many, sorry, many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. What is he saying? Peter, you did it, and you will be rewarded. With the community of the church, that's what I think the blessing in this time is, and with eternal life. It is possible to obey the command of God. Only by the power of God. Now hear me. I think there are, and you know this better than than I do. you got to search your heart. I think you know that there are things in your life that you are gripping really tight to. And Jesus knows what those things are. You can't hide those things from him. He knows it, and he calls us all, just like the rich young ruler, and says, let go. Let go of it. You got to give me full surrender. That's the call, is to surrender it all. And if that is our posture, if our posture is one of surrender, to deny ourselves to die daily, that call to surrender, that answering that call to surrender, if Jesus were to call you to sell it all, you would respond with a yes. But that call is to full surrender, to let go of it all. And I know that feels impossible. That's how it's supposed to feel. But if you humble yourself and say, God, I can't let this go. Help me. That's where he'll come in. That's where he'll come in and have mercy on you. If you humble yourself before God, he'll have mercy on you. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll call you righteous and he'll start to transform your life. That's what he's wanting from you. So let's talk very practically. Right, we felt as, as pastors, as we were talking about this series on money, we wanted a real practical application okay now here's the hard part about this one is i feel like this is my application (laughs) so i'm giving you my application and i'm inviting you to join me in this okay so this may not be for you but i know that this is for me because like i confess what do i hold on to too tightly in my life i hold on to my money i hold on to my savings that's what i hold on to Hold on to that budget really tight. It's like a warm, comfortable lead blanket. <sighs> Is the budget reconciled? Now, I'm serious. There are times where I'm like, that receipt's not been reconciled. What category does that go in? And I'm just like staying up like, I got to go do the budget. <laughs> just ask my wife. It's true. I need to release that. So here's the challenge that I'm going to take on, that my family going to take on. We're calling it the 2% challenge. Okay, here's what that means. And I want you to think about it. We're not starting this till October. So not this week, but next week. We're calling it the 2% giving challenge. So what we're calling you to is over the next 90 days, starting in October, so October, November, December, and right by Christmas, which is the time of savings money anyways, so it'd be perfect. We're asking you, inviting you, to give 2% more, of your income to the church and here's what we're willing to do if you sign up for that challenge like I want to do that I'll do the two percent giving challenge I'll give two percent more of my income over the next 90 days October November December if you do that and at the end you feel like God didn't take care of you God didn't honor his promise to take care of you as you sacrifice to him we will give you your money back all of it all of it so i'm taking the risk out for you if you sign up for the two percent giving challenge and what i'm asking you is give two percent more right so maybe if you're giving zero right now i had this, this great awesome conversation with somebody and they came to me like pastor paul i'm ready to start giving they're like totally new to the church where do i start okay this is perfect if that's you if you're at zero right now you give zero percent of your income to the church give two percent. Okay, if you're giving four, give six. If you're giving six, give eight. If you're giving eight, give ten. You're like, dyslexic guy does the budget at this church? Yeah, I know, right? If you're giving ten, right? If you're giving ten, awesome, glad you do that. The challenge is to give twelve. Now, again, this is not for everybody. I'll tell you what, this is for me, though, because I know in my heart, I hold my money too quickly. Or, sorry, too too tightly. And I feel like that rich young ruler. I don't want to give it up. Now, that's going to stretch us. (laughs) Because we're already giving to the church. But I think that 2% more, that's exactly what I need. I think that's exactly what I need as a leader of my home. Is I need to step into that challenge. And it's not because God needs my money. God doesn't need my money. He wants my worship. That's what he wants. And I need to make that sacrifice to show him that he's number one and not my money and not my savings. So I invite you, I want you to this week, I'm not going to tell you how you can sign up for this. I'm not going to do that. Not this week. I want you to pray about it this week. Seriously consider if this is a challenge you want to step into. Now hear me, if you don't, that's fine. I'm not going to know. It's fine. Don't feel guilty or anything like that. But if you feel in your heart, you do some examination and you think to yourself, you know what, I think I am in that position of the rich young ruler. I think I do hold on to my money too quickly. And if Jesus called me to give more, I don't know if I could do it. Maybe, like like me, you're just going to join me, right? Misery loves company. Join me here and maybe this is exactly what we need to do together. And I'm not going to call you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. So I want you to consider doing that. If you do that, we'll talk about how to sign up for that next week. We're going to give you a gift. We're going to give you a small book that talks about how to live a generous life according to the scriptures. Just so you can unpack those things. And again, if you get to the end of that 90 days and you're like, Paul, was not worth it? I w- we will give you your money back. So all the risk is out of it for you. So I want you to prayerfully consider if you would do that over 90 days starting in October. Now, maybe you're here and you're not yet following Jesus. Okay, I want you to be so encouraged by this message, this big idea. God won't call you further than he's willing to take you. Here's why I think that just is so refreshing to you. If you're starting to realize what Jesus is calling you to, you, to, you may start to think, I, there's no way I can do what God calls me to do. There's no way, Paul. I can't tell you how many times I've shared the gospel with somebody and they tell me I can't do that if that's the call I can't do that I remember sharing the gospel and unpacking it and this happened in several different scenarios but specifically when it comes to gender and sexuality I feel like this is where we, we feel the stretch of this the most in conversation right God calls us to surrender all to him and that means our gender and our sexuality so god's call is to holy sexuality and that's important for us to remember god's call isn't to heterosexuality it's to holy sexuality okay there's there's a difference there holy sexuality is one man one woman for one lifetime right there are a lot of heterosexual behaviors that are not holy and that's very important for us to remember that god calls us i want you to save yourself for the covenant of marriage And then when you're in that married life, that you save your eyes and your heart for her and her alone. So that means pornography. That is not holy sexuality. Lust is not holy sexuality. Promiscuity is not holy sexuality. Homosexuality is not uh, not holy sexuality. That call is felt by all of us. Right? Because if we're all honest, in us is not monogamy. In us is lust, right? Many partners, as much as possible. That's probably us, right? Innately, that's in our nature. But he calls us all to die to that nature. All of us. And there may be feelings and desires and impulses in us that we feel like, but Paul, this is natural for me. I know it's natural. But our nature got corrupted by sin. My nature got corrupted by sin. And there's some darkness in here that is shameful and just gross, and if you saw it all, you might leave the room. But we all have that darkness in us. We all have that brokenness in us. But God doesn't run away from that. He comes right to that. And he says, I'm going to call you to get it all cleaned up. And we just sit there and be like, what are you talking about? I can't clean up this mess. And he says, I know. I can. I can. Because I'm going to go as far as I'm calling you to. I remember sharing the gospel just, just recently. And somebody feeling like, I can't do what Jesus calls me to do. I know what he's calling me to do, but I can't. And I said, that's exactly where you need to be. Hear me. Whether it's an addiction. Whether it's a sexual desire. Whether it's a gender dysphoria. Whatever it is. Whether it's greed, pornography, a gambling addiction, anger, pride. I don't know. Whatever the sin is. And you hear the call of Jesus... To come and follow him, deny yourself. And if you're saying to yourself, that's impossible. I get it. Cry out for mercy. Ask him for help. Watch him forgive you. Call you righteous. And start to transform you. He will not call you further. Then he's willing to take you. And I hope today, if you're feeling that, I could never do this Jesus following stuff because of what's in me. I would be denying myself. Yeah, I know. That's the call to deny yourself. Today, call out for mercy. You don't need to figure out how you're going to change. You don't need to figure out how you're going to transform your own life. You need to call out for mercy and watch him change your life. Watch him transform your life. I pray today is the day you call out for mercy. and Say, God, I can't do what you call, but I want to help me. I'm going to pray a prayer here in a moment. And if you want to take that step of faith, call out to mercy, call out for the mercy of God today, you can do that. Church family, let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. And I pray for for, for anybody in this room right now who's feeling that they are holding on to something in their life too tightly. The grip is too much. The knuckles are white and we can't release. We can't let go. Oh, Father, I pray that you would loosen the grip today. That you would loosen the grip today. Father, I confess in my own heart, I I hold it too tightly. I hold money too tightly. And I, I say it and it sounds just like, what is wrong with me? I know my security and my safety is in you. Why am I holding on to some numbers in an account? It seems so foolish. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. And Father, I pray for those in this room that maybe they haven't stepped towards you, Jesus. They're, they're not ready to follow you because they know crossing that line means denying themselves. And they don't feel like they can carry that burden. Oh, I pray that they would see that you are the one who will carry the burden for them. If that's you in this room and you want to call out to God for mercy, if you want to start following Jesus today, if you want today to be the day that you become a Christian, you could pray a simple prayer like this. It's in the silence of your own heart, just between you and God. You can say words like this You can say, Father, I admit that I am a sinner. And I can't do what you call me to do. But I believe that Jesus died and he rose again for the forgiveness of my sins. Today I call out for mercy. I need your help. Today I confess Jesus as the Lord of my life. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.